So this is nowhere near as hard to manage remotely as, for instance, apartment buildings. Because with, say, a 100-space apartment building, you've got uh, at least 100 and probably 200 toilets, <laughs> leaky toilets and the leaky roof, and just on and on and on. And you've got, frankly, a tenant base with a renter's mentality. Now, compare and contrast that with a 100-space mobile home park where, say, everybody owns their own house. So you've now got tenants that have an ownership mentality. They like their neighborhood. Frankly, they like their neighborhood to be safe and not have a bad element in it. And again, they own all those proverbial leaky toilets and leaky roofs. Welcome to Investing in the U.S., an Aussie's Guide to U.S. Real Estate, a podcast for international investors and real estate entrepreneurs looking to break into the U.S. market. G'day, g'day, guys, and welcome to another cracking edition of Investing in the U.S., an Aussie's Guide to U.S. Real Estate. From Los Angeles, I'm Reed Goosens. Good as always to have you with us on the show. So you already know that each week we bring you cracking investing insight and information from our incredible guests. And the reason is we want to educate. We want to help people start successfully investing here in the United States and buying cash flow real estate. And this week is no different. And we have a cracking episode for you. So let's get into today's show. Guys, are you having a hard time finding and sourcing great single family cash flowing properties? I bet you're finding it hard to locate a good cash flowing deal in your local market, right? Well, on this show, we are all about successful investing and successful investing begins with the right properties in the right markets with the right team. Here at Investing in the US podcast, we have joined forces with that right team, which is Narada Real Estate. The team at Narada Real Estate specializes in finding great cash flowing single family properties across different markets within the United States. Check out naradarealestate.com to find out more. That is N-O-R-A-D-A realestate.com. Today, the entrepreneur in the hot seat to answer all my questions is Jefferson Lilly. G'day, Jefferson. How's it going today? Welcome to the show. Good day, mate. <laughs> it's going great, Reed. But better now that I'm talking to you uh, on on uh, through Skype here as we podcast. Yes, yes. Skype's a great a great tool in my business. I can tell you that. Yeah. So, guys, let me give you a little bit more insight into Jefferson. He is a self-made millionaire, mobile home park investing expert, educator, and industry consultant. He co-founded Park Street Partners in 2013, which is an investment firm focused on acquiring mobile home parks across the United States. Before becoming a full-time investor, Jefferson spent nine years in sales for startups in Silicon Valley. He's also been featured in the New York Times, Bloomberg Magazine, and on the Real Money television show. Jefferson, that is a hugely impressive list of achievements. Well done, mate. <laughs> well, Reed, thank you. That That's the, the best in, in introduction I've ever had. So whatever I'm paying you, I'm doubling it. <laughs> well, awesome stuff, mate. But you know, before we dive into today's show, I always like to ask my guests, well, can you tell us something that most people might not know about you unrelated to being a successful real estate entrepreneur? I uh, 
am a dad uh, for two wonderful kids, uh, a little two-year-old and a little six-month-old, and uh, just having a, a ton of fun uh, with my wife uh, raising my boys. We're here at the beach, the New Jersey Shore, this week, uh, so I've taken some time away from the sand, Reed, to come <laughs> be on your show. So, but we're just having a great time here, and it's fun, uh, fun raising kids. So would would highly recommend it for anybody that's not yet had kids. It's way underrated. <laughs> awesome, awesome. Well, well done, well done. I know, I'm, I'm sorry, sorry to drag you away from your from your holidays, but. Uh, <laughs> you know, okay. the, the great thing about this, this business is that you can do it from, you know, you know from the beach. <laughs> so, exactly. Exactly. Mate, with that being said, you know, I'm sure you have a very unique journey and, you know, mm -hmm. you're, no, you're no different to anyone else. You know, tell us a little bit more about your background and how you got started investing in, in real estate and specifically in mobile home park. Um, because, you know, people get to that point in their life and they want to uh, they want to understand what are they doing? You know, so they look up from their cubicle and they say, this is not for me. So how did you make that right. that transition? Right. So as you uh, covered briefly, I, I had worked uh, in Silicon Valley basically for most of my 30s. I was in sales for three different startups, kind of all doing wireless uh, messaging solutions, uh, text messaging stuff. And uh, indeed, at, at no point did I ever say, hey, I'm giving up these sexy stock options and uh, I'm just going to go from from mobile phones to mobile homes, as I say. But what did happen was that, you know, I had been through the dot-com boom and bust. I had sort of soured on, you know, high-tech, you know, clean-tech, solar-tech, silly-tech investing and uh, really got more focused on value investing. Um, I had already been a Berkshire Hathaway shareholder, Warren Buffett's company. Um, so I started doing more value investing in the stock market and then just thought, hey, I should really diversify out of the stock market and buy some real estate and I was thinking initially, as uh, Buffett advises, you know, staying within your circle of competence. So I figured, hey, you know, I've always either lived in a house or an apartment building. Why don't I buy a little apartment building and, you know, fix it up? I don't mind going to work. I'll, uh, you know, put some new roofs on, install some new kitchens, make it better for the tenants. Also bump the rents, make it better for me. Everybody wins. <clears throat> and then just in looking at websites like LoopNet, I would, you know, again, do a search, multifamily, you know, Peoria, Illinois. And I would see 99 apartment buildings at like an eight cap, uh, eight and a half, whatever. And then there'd be one mobile home park at like 12 cap. And of course, I, I, I initially thought, that's absurd. I'm not going to buy a friggin' mobile home park, delete, you know, and I do the search in Lubbock, Texas or Omaha, Nebraska. I kept getting hit over the head with this one in a hundred multifamily asset class that seemed to yield dramatically more money than you know everything else, all the other apartment buildings. So frankly, it took probably three or four times me getting hit over the head with these search results before I finally thought, well, all right, you know, I wasn't going to live in the apartment building anyway. If mobile home parks, for whatever reason, really are that profitable, you know, why don't I at least look into it? So I, I just started googling around. Um, I found some online forums. Uh, I started buying books, going to seminars. Um, I built up an unofficial advisory board of about 10 guys that had all, uh, well, basically all of them did at the time own mobile home parks or had recently. Uh, so I had these guys to, to start bouncing ideas off of. But anyway, so, you know, I got into it part by plan, but part by luck. You know, I, I was looking for strong cash flow real estate and thought that would be apartments but again found this quirky little thing which initially I rejected and didn't didn't fit into my worldview but but again as I got to know it better and we'll get into that on the podcast as, as I got to know it better I realized oh, you know why mobile home parks are more profitable 
and really are the single best niche uh, in real estate, way better than apartments or self-storage or office or retail or whatever. Awesome, awesome. Well, that's, that's incredible. And I loved what you touched on earlier that you sort of, you were investing, you didn't, you wanted to invest your time more wisely and, and to, I guess take control of your future rather than working for someone else in the, in the dot-com boom and bust but but well done and, and i i love hearing those people's stories about how they got to where they are today and then you've stumbled across mobile home park investing um the, t- today's topic of the show just for those listeners out there if i didn't mention earlier is that i wanted to um talk with jefferson about how he finds finances and you know operates deals from afar because mm-hmm. as you've just you've just touched on briefly jefferson that you you know you're looking all across the united states at mobile home parks and I'm sure with, with multifamily investing. So let's jump into the nuts and bolts of today's show. And so let's start at the beginning. You, uh, you've identified a market, because like, let's just say we've got the first step done, that you know, you identified a market, first step, tick. What a, when you enter a new market and you, have not, you don't have a team set up, what do you, do you, where do you start out? What's your first steps when you start looking at a new you know, market in Texas or a new market in you know, New Mexico or wherever you might be looking on LoopNet and you're finding these cracking uh, mobile home mm-hmm. parks. And just to be clear, Reed, pardon my uh, North American ignorance. I presume cracking is a good term. <laughs> yeah, everyone. That's my little. That's my little tidbit. And cracking means you know, piping hot deal or like a really great, great deal. So okay. a cracking deal. Thank you. So how to find a cracking deal? So I find this business, mobile home parks, lends itself more to tactics than to strategy. So when you say like, how do you analyze a market? Um, I'll get into that, but let me just say. We don't go after this business by saying, hey, you know, strategically, everybody is going to be moving into the Sun Belt over the next 20 years as they retire. So we're only going to be buying in, you know, Phoenix or Santa Fe or, 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 or South Florida. We don't do it that way. We find this business lends itself to tactics. And by that, I mean, when we find a good deal, and I'll talk about what constitutes a good deal, but when we find what, what we believe is a good deal, we don't care if it's in some small little town in Maine uh, or if it's in Phoenix, right dead center of the Sun Belt. So we're looking for good deals. Um, now, in our world, what constitutes a good deal basically is first, <clears throat> you want to have a park on certainly, I would say for anybody listening for your first park, certainly make it all city utilities, right? City water, city sewer. You don't want to get into a situation where you're responsible for a well uh, that may fail or more importantly, more expensively, the back end of your water system, a septic field or heaven forbid, a sewage lagoon uh, or a packaging plant and any of those things. Those can be you know, six serious six-figure investments to get your sewer right. Uh, frankly, if a well goes bad, it might only be five grand or 20 grand. Um, but anyway, so for your first investment, you know, make it all city water, city sewer. That way you can be pretty certain you're, ex- you know, you're not going to have any unexpected expenses. Um, so obviously businesses have, have two components, expenses and also revenues. So how do you know if your revenues are going to be good? We then look uh, for parks that are ideally within five miles of a super Walmart. Uh, Walmart does, uh, you know, very good uh, demographic and economic um, studies. So if a town has a super Walmart in it, you can be fairly certain that the town is at least stable economically. That's all you really need to make good money in this business. You don't need to be in a sexy, rapidly growing market, you know, like uh, like 
I don't know, what, what, like San Phoenix, Francisco. San Francisco, <laughs> Austin, Texas. You, yep. you don't need to be in those sexy markets. If you find something that's a good deal in those markets, that's, you know, doubly good. Go nuts. But you, you, you can do, but you'll do better, you know, buying a good deal in Des Moines, Iowa than overpaying for what would otherwise be an equally good deal in Austin, right? This, at least the way we play this business, it's all about cash flow. Uh, and our, our goal is always basically making at least 20% cash on cash. Uh, our best deal is clocking in at about 40% uh, percent cash on cash. So again, if you've got a, a park, all city utilities, and it's within five miles of a super Walmart, that's probably right there, you know, three quarters of it. Um, we'll also look at housing price. Um, we obviously are in the affordable housing uh, business. So our lot rent typically on average across our portfolio is probably right around $300 uh, where we bring in houses and rent to own those for tenants. You can add on roughly another 500. So that might mean 800 bucks that they would pay say for five years to own a house and then they just pay the lot rent. Um, but we need to have a great um, delta between the, the cost of our, our homes and what local site-built regular houses go for. So we typically look for markets where, again, in addition to the, uh, us being close to a, a super Walmart, we wanna see average house price of about 100,000 or higher. That means we will be by far the best affordable housing provider in that community. I mean, most of our houses in total purchase price would be on average probably 25,000 bucks for a three bedroom, about, about a 1200 square foot house. So that that's a pretty good and compelling product to have in the market when you're competing with comparably sized site built houses, but that are going to go for a hundred grand. And of course, then somebody's got to come up with about 20 grand down, whereas that's pretty close to the total purchase price of our house. Anyway, so markets, you know, there, there's some really tough markets out there. You could be within five miles of a super Walmart in places like Detroit, uh, Youngstown, Ohio, uh, Paducah, Kentucky, low average house prices, I believe down around 60 grand. And so again, when the house price is too low, it's too tough to compete with. That indicates the economy even more broadly is just pretty weak. So, right. so you're looking there, for th those. Those are the things we, we look for. Right. And that's incredible. I think you gave a great, great uh, overview of it, but you're, you're, Back to what you said, if I'm looking for a park in a certain town, I want to make sure that the average home price within that town is roughly $100,000. Otherwise, yep. you're not attracting, you're not going to tie up the sort of low-income uh, housing market in that particular s town or suburb, correct? Exactly. Places where the average house is, you know, sixty-five grand. that or means higher. there will be, yep. at the low end, there will be houses uh, you know, fixer upper, small, you know, regular site built houses at 20 and 30 grand. And that's our price point. And it's too hard to compete with site built houses that are 20 and 30. Again, if the average is 100, that probably means that the least expensive house in that market is going to be 60. And again, that's 12 grand down. And that's three times our price of say a 20 or $25,000 average house price. So anyway, uh, again, all, all city utilities be within five miles of a super Walmart, make sure the average house price is a hundred grand. That right there now is probably 95 or 98% of what you need to be certain that you're going to do well uh, in this business. Fantastic. And then, so when you're, how are you identifying your deals? You, I, I love what you said before, because uh, uh, and I'm not going to dive off into this topic, but I just want to I want to just quickly touch on that you're making sure you're you're setting up a business that isn't defined by your region. You are first and foremost 
looking for a deal and then you're taking a step back and saying, okay, does the market work? Does you know, is this, this is the demographic work? Does the population work? Do employment, do employee, uh, do have good employment in the area? And I think that's very, very key for those listeners out there if they didn't pick up on that is that Jefferson is looking at deals and is not defined by a region and just only investing in a region. He's investing for deals and investing for, for, for very cash flow. I just wanted to mention that before we, we dive off into another topic. But I exactly. think that's very, very important. And I'm very, you know, I constantly say to people that, you know, it doesn't matter if a deal comes to me from here in America or in Canada or in Australia, I value cash flow and I know how to find cash flow and that's what my business does. So not being defined by your region and having a bit more of a global outlook, uh, you'll be opening yourself up to a lot more deals as we go through different economic cycles. But uh, I won't dive off into that <laughs> just yet. So, exactly. so Jefferson, how are you actually finding these deals? It was all through LoopNet or are you developing um, a particular you know, um, process that you're cold calling these, these, these mobile home park owners and, and doing anything, uh, you know, fancy? Um, we do a little bit of everything. Probably most of our deal flow comes from brokers. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we do also do direct outreach, uh, postcard mailers, direct to, to park owners, follow up phone calls. Um, we have our own podcast uh, ah. called Mo- Mobile Home Park Investors. We get some people that call in and say, hey, I know of a park for sale. You know, I'll flip it to you for a fee or I'll refer it to you. Um, so we've got a bunch of things uh, in, in the works. There is no single panacea. Um, but uh, again, brokers are, are more than half uh, of the deals that we do. And what you want to do there is get uh, the pocket listings. And th- th- those are the listings that a broker hasn't yet put up uh, on the web. You know, they kind of want to keep all the commission themselves if they posted on a website uh, like LoopNet, then if somebody like me comes along with a buyer's broker, they've got to cut their commission in half. They've got to split it. But uh, anyway, if you can call the brokers, they'll often have pocket listings and you just make it clear you're not a broker and, you know, that they should please show you whatever, you know, whatever pocket listings they've got. Um, anyway, so that's what we try and do. But, you know, that said, we, we have bought things, uh, you know, off that have been more widely shopped um, uh, on the web. Uh, we have not paid the prices <laughs> that they've been list- listed at, but, uh, but, but we have bought some things that way uh, as well. So just have a lot of irons in, in the fire and uh, you'll, you'll find some. Fantastic. And so if you are entering a new market, are you reaching out to brokers within that market to get yourself known? Hey, I'm, you know, I'm Jefferson Lilly. I'm buying mobile home parks. You know, can you send me your, your pocket listing? And are you just sort of hitting up a number of brokers within you know, a small uh, suburb in the Midwest? Uh, okay, not quite. So uh, Marcus and Millichap is the single largest brokerage firm that specializes in, in this niche. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, we kind of know, we think we know all the guys at Marcus and Millichap. They're, they're, you know, probably 10 brokers there, maybe 15 that, that, that uh, handle really the whole country. Wow. Okay. Um, yeah. And then, you know, there's some others, uh, ARA, uh, CBRE, uh, Sperry Van Ness. Uh, but, you know, probably there are a total of, you know, 50 brokers that would handle 90% of all the mobile home parks uh, that are brokered. Now, again, they're, they're certainly probably half the market is for sale by owner, I would guess. But of the half that is brokered, you're probably looking at really only needing to know and reach out to like 50 folks uh, that, uh, that will have the whole country handled. And it's not always quite that regional. You might see, you know, a, a, a broker out of Las Vegas that that's actually does have a Florida deal 
and it's because, you know, he just did a shopping mall deal with the same guy in Vegas, but the guy also owns the mobile home park in Florida. And so even though he's out of Vegas, he's sending around the, the Florida deal. So again, I would say this business doesn't really lend itself to sort of targeting um, regions uh, that well. You just kind of need to get to know all the brokers. And then certainly if you want to, again, do some of those postcard mailings and do some some follow-up phone calling, that definitely would be regional-focused. Uh, but uh, anyway, not not so much the, uh, the the broker part of it. That's interesting that the Marcus and Miller chap have essentially, by the sounds of it, the whole nation tied up with uh, a dozen or more brokers. That's 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 quite kind of uh, surprising. Um, but I guess, is, is it safe to say that the mobile home park investing world is very small or is it just yeah it, it, it's sort of just <laughs> it's becoming more and more attractive because i'm i'm talking to a lot of different people across the united states about they're all getting very excited about mobile home parks i've had a couple of guys on the show already talking about a little bit about mobile home parks but mm-hmm. it's it's it seems to be a, a niche that is is very very hot because of the good yield and is that that's the reason it's becoming hot right Yes, uh, all that is true. Yeah, certainly uh, mobile home parks have not somehow become magically more sexy. They're still very <laughs> unsexy, but uh, the cash flows remain strong, and, and that's becoming more well-known. Um, so the business is consolidating. There are still good deals to be had out there, and certainly for you know individual folks that, that want to spend some time, source the deals, look for something. You know, I'd say if you really put uh, effort into it you know, for six months or something, you're, you're highly likely to find something uh, to buy. Anyway, so yeah, so so that's uh, that's what's going on there. There's still deals out there to be had, uh, but the the business is uh, consolidating. We're we're trying to do our part, uh, raising our funds and buying properties, and uh, we'll, we'll we'll see how uh, how we and others do in, in the business in the coming years. But I, I think I think it'll be good. <laughs> and and just to dive off into another little topic that I had uh, written down here was once you do find a deal, you've gone to Marcus Millichap. They've said, yep. Jefferson got a got a deal in this you know Florida you know you live in you live in California, how are you then looking to find financing once you enter that local market? Are you looking to work with national lenders or are you looking to use private equity? Are you looking to use local banks and credit unions? What do you, what do you do? Okay, good question. So it depends on the size of the deal uh, for the debt. Larger deals. We we just did a, a little over four million dollar deal in uh, Superior, Wisconsin. We got C- CMBS financing on it. We borrowed about three point one million. CMBS, uh, for those who don't know, stands for Collateralized Mortgage Backed Security. So our debt will be packaged up with hundreds of other mortgages on all sorts of different properties and sold off on Wall Street. Um, so that's non-recourse money, that, that kind of money you can tap into. I would say when your aggregate debt amount is a million and a half and up, it fluctuates a bit. But I think right now, basically, if, if you're looking to borrow a million and a half or more, CMBS is a very good option for you. The rates are relatively low and it's non-recourse. You can also go through uh, and get what's called, again, if you're dealing with somewhat larger amounts of debt, you can also get agency debt. That would be for, from Fannie or Freddie. That takes a little longer. And it just kind of then depends how much time you have to close your deal. Um, so then for smaller deals where you might have under a million and a half in debt and certainly under one million in debt, let's say you're buying a property for a million and you're kind of hoping to get three quarters of a million in debt, basically anything a million and under, you're almost certainly having to deal with regional banks. So I would guess we've got, I think now 13 properties and I think something like eight of them are, are uh, eight or nine of them are financed with with regional banks. Um, 
So, th so that's where a, a, a good chunk of your additional debt will come. And then finally, seller carry. Basically just having the seller say, hey, put down whatever, 25% now, and you can pay me the remaining 75% out over time. Uh, obviously, just where the seller provides the mortgage. That's also a very good source of debt. That's also typically non-recourse and typically at, at a fairly favorable uh, price. So anyway, that's where you get debt. Again, basically bottom line is, is you can tap into some very large, less expensive money if you're buying bigger sort of two, two and a half million dollar deals and up. Those are going to be the ones that'll need a million and a, and a half in debt. Sure. And so people who are starting out, you know, even in the multifamily side or on the smaller mobile home park side, with those local banks, are you developing specific relationships? Are you, giving, are you cold calling and saying, hey, I've just moved into the area. I've got this deal that I'm looking at uh, in your region. I would love to make some relationships with you to you know, hopefully get some, you know, get some debt financing from you moving forward. How are you making those relationships with those smaller local banks? Yeah, it's just cold calling. We've done that so far ourselves. Uh, we did use a mortgage broker for that CMBS, the larger right. piece of debt. But yeah, smaller stuff. I mean, my first deal, which was in the Oklahoma City metro, I literally just got out the Yellow Pages. Of course, online, <laughs> yellowpages.com, not a physical Yellow Pages. I'm not, I'm not that old, Reed. Uh, but anyway, got out the Yellow Pages online. I called, I think it was 60 banks. Wow. And I, I got 58 no's. <laughs> And I got two yeses. And all you need is one yes. Reed. Exactly. <laughs> so exactly. I, I got what I needed. I got that deal done. Um, anyway, so that's pretty much what we've done. You'll find the receptivity varies by region. We had a very good deal two years ago in Michigan. Uh, we called 113 banks in Michigan. We got 109 no's. And we got four maybes. And the maybes were like, if everything checks out and you guys put down 50%, we'll finance the other 50%. So Michigan banks um, have been, um, I could use some bad words, but let's just say they have not been aggressive. Uh, they've, they've been kind of little scaredy cats. Uh, but I think they're getting better in Michigan. Now contrast that with like Wyoming. Uh, we did a, uh, about a million eight deal there with, with a regional bank out of Cheyenne. And then we called them up three months later with a deal out of state uh, over in Kansas. Uh, and we said, hey, you know, I know you guys don't have a presence in Kansas, but would you be interested? And after building a relationship with them for just three months, they said, sure. <laughs> so, you know, banks in, in healthy places like Wyoming and generally the Midwest are going to be much more likely to lend, uh, frankly, than, than places that have had more economic downturns where the bankers are still quite gun shy, like, uh, like Michigan. But I think it's getting better in, in Michigan. Anyway, in, there you go. In, in general, uh, is the uh, debt financing on mobile home park, is it just because these banks or local banks are unfamiliar with the asset class? And, and so you're going to 100, you said 109 of them, or yep. is it because of other reasons? No, that, that, see, that's it. That's part of what makes this such a quirky business is that, you know, I estimate, I think it is really just about 100 to 1 as far as, you know, for however many apartment deals there are out there, there's going to be one mobile home park deal. So bankers are just not familiar with this. Um, now, the ironic thing is, is that mobile home parks have the single lowest default rate of any commercial asset class. Bankers are less likely, the least likely to lose money on mobile home parks than apartments or shopping malls or self-storage facilities or anything else. Um, but most, most bankers have never lent on a mobile home park. And most bankers have, this is part of the reason this is such a good, good business, is that most of the quote unquote smart money, be it debt or equity, 
just thinks, oh, mobile home parks, oh, those things are full of, you know, drugs and guns and prostitutes, and oh, I would never want anything to do with that. And the fact of the matter is, you know, maybe the bottom 1% of parks are that bad, but, you know, the other 99% of parks are just fine, full of hardworking folks, no crazy amount of drugs or guns or prostitution. It's just hardworking folks that, you know, want a better life for themselves and for their kids. Uh, but that never makes the news, of course. It's only the bad news about a mobile home park that ever makes it into the news. So this business, through really no fault of its own, just lo 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 local journalists that always rush out whenever there is a drug bust or a tornado hits or whatever, you know, it, it's really all the local newscasters that have given the business such a bad and undeserved reputation. Because again, 99% of the parks really are just fine and nothing ever happens other than the rent coming in. But that doesn't make the news anyway. So, so yeah, so a lot of the smart money debt and equity shies away from this. But if you can then line up the debt for it and the equity, you know you're not going to be competing against 10 other buyers because there just aren't 10 other buyers out there because this is not a sexy business like apartments. Everybody's trying to buy apartments and fix and flip them. And this is nothing, nothing like that. Right, right. And that's... I love what you said about that deal in Wyoming that you used a bank, you developed that relationship, and then you got them to fund another deal in, in I, I, excuse my geography right now, it's a state across, I guess, Kansas City, correct? Uh, Kansas is, uh, Kansas, okay. is close, but actually isn't, prox it, it doesn't actually border it. I think Nebraska oh, okay. borders, and then Kansas is to the south. So, so they're, they're sort of one state, one hop away. And, and yeah, they had no presence, never done business in, in Kansas, but they liked us, and, and they understood the asset class. So again, when we came to them three, three months later and said, hey, we've got a deal over here in Wichita, Kansas, uh, the bankers out of Cheyenne, Wyoming said, okay, we're doing it. Wow, that's great. And you got term that sheets was, and you signed a term yeah. sheet and off you went. Fantastic. Yes, so great yes. stuff. Okay, so we've, you've, you've got the finance and we've found the deals. What happens now when you've, you've closed on the deal and you need to operate it? Who, what, what team members are you setting up on the ground, boots on the ground, to be your eyes and ears to make sure your deals are working uh, effect, effectively and efficiently? Yeah, great question. So one of the things, one of the other things that makes this such a profitable business is that at least done right, you're going to own just the land, not the mobile homes, certainly not for the long run. If you're in some of the homes, great. You put them on rent to own and you get the people, you make them homeowners. Um, and again, then they've got a lot of skin in, in the game and they're just paying you the lot rent. So this is nowhere near as hard to manage remotely as, for instance, apartment buildings. Because with, say, a 100-space apartment building, you've got uh, at least 100 and probably 200 toilets, <laughs> leaky toilets and the leaky roof, and just on and on and on. And you've got, frankly, a tenant base with a renter's mentality. Now, compare and contrast that with a 100-space mobile home park where, say, everybody owns their own house. So you've now got tenants that have an ownership mentality. They like their neighborhood. Frankly, they like their neighborhood to be safe and not have a bad element in it. And again, they own all those proverbial leaky toilets and leaky roofs. Um, only probably those, those toilets and roofs aren't leaking as badly on them because, again, they have an owner mentality. They own that house and they take better care of it than they would if they were renters. So it's just not hard to collect, say, on average, $300 lot rents from folks uh, that probably have, you know, upwards of, let's say, 2000 a month in income. Uh, maybe 2500 a month in, in income. So to pay 300 in lot rent is really not a significant portion of their interest. Again, very different business if you've got tenants making two or 2500 a month and your lot rent is, sorry, your apartment rent is like 1100 right? 
that's much harder for, for them to, to, to make. We do have on-site managers, and for us, a manager really just focuses on collecting the rents, posting late notices, and showing any available mobile homes or vacant lots that we may have. Um, our managers, just to be clear, do not do maintenance, and they certainly aren't doing the books. So uh, we will have, uh, we have an asset manager who's off-site. So say we get a house back uh, out of a 100-space park, you know, in any given year, we might get, let's say, three of them back, um, and they might be damaged. So our asset manager, again, who's remote, will get, uh, maybe the manager would take some photos of the damage, but really the off-site a- asset manager gets the competing bids to get that house uh, recarpeted and the other house repainted and, you know, what have you. So we really, again, focus our on-site managers, pretty simple job, just on depositing the checks and, again, showing any available houses. The maintenance is handled remotely. Uh, we, we've got um, a, a remote bookkeeper. Um, so, again, just focus the manager on basically the top line of, of your business. Uh, again, off-site uh, asset manager, and then really everybody else is off-site. I go on-site and my partner, Brad, we go on-site probably once a year. Um, but we are getting, you know, certainly still photographs emailed to us uh, from our managers or uploaded through Dropbox has been a, a big help to us, um, or complete videos. You know, we'll just have a manager take one of these little sort of dash cam, like Polaroid and some other people make these little sort of dash cam cameras for, I don't know what they go for, 100 bucks or something. And we'll just have a manager say, hey, put this on the dash of your car, drive through the park. You know, it's been a couple of months. We want to see it. And, and then upload that video or just mail the whole, I think it's got a little removable SD card and they can just mail back the card. But that way we've got real eyes on the property, you know, as needed. Some parks we're doing that kind of every three to six months, other parks, like maybe it's a year uh, or, or, or less because those parks are, are better managed. So it, it, it varies, but anyway, we make big use of, of technology, Dropbox, and of course, email or big help uh, in getting our eyes, so to speak, uh, on the property, even though uh, we, we may not physically be on site for another six or 12 months. Fantastic. That's awesome. And I, I love having those little cameras. It's a good good piece of advice. I might take that into my business uh, on, the, on the dash cam, <laughs> on the dashboard, I should say. Uh, sure. And so with the with just, just to quickly touch on the um, the maintenance of the property once you've closed on it, you are you have just a, a local third party guy that comes around once a month and just you know trims the i'm sure i'm sure i'm assuming there's common grounds that you need to keep you know mown and, and make sure the leaves are not overgrown and stuff like that yeah exactly so that is is the sort of regular stuff um and sometimes that's actually somebody in the park uh that does the mowing but that's the sort of thing that a manager can handle that's typically anywhere sort of from 80 to 200 bucks per mow. And so for smaller dollar amount stuff, typically $300 and under, some of our markets 500 and under, those are the things that we allow a manager to schedule. So that again would be principally mowing and doing uh, calling in sewer unstops like Roto-Rooter. Um, but again, one of the reasons this is such a profitable business is that all we maintain is the land. Uh, I'm guessing most apartment investors for their repair and maintenance line, uh, line item, if you break it out, Probably three quarters of it goes into the walls, the, the, the actual improvements, and probably only 25% of it or so is for the land. So that's all we've got. And again, for basic stuff like sewer unstop or lawn mowing, our manager will just take care of that as needed. And then our vendors uh, are emailing us, typically will email us their bill 
or leave it with the manager and the manager scans it or snaps you know, a photo with their, with their uh, cell phone and, and emails it to us. Um, and we are going to an automated bill payment solution here, I think, in another two months. Um, but, uh, but anyway, that, that, that's the way it goes. And so if it's a major thing, like, oh, my gosh, you know, 40 feet of, of sewer line has collapsed and it's, this is going to be like a $5,000 expense. Then again, our asset manager comes in, gets a couple competing bids, and, and they handle the big stuff to make sure it's a competitive bid process. Um, whereas, again, stuff like sewer unstops and lawn mowing, that's kind of just an established price. And we just sort of expect to get a lawn mowing bill once a week for, you know, the whole summer and we just pay it. So. Sure. And that asset manager is a, again, a third party local asset manager company or person? Oh, no, that that's a, a person. Uh, currently, we've got one guy who's uh, on the East Coast mm -hmm. uh, who's, who's doing that. And then we are probably going to be hiring here by the end of the summer a second uh, asset manager. So for anybody out there who's listening, who's an experienced asset manager, at least apartments, maybe not mobile home parks, we're hiring. <laughs> Park Street Partners is hiring asset managers. Awesome stuff, um, mate. But yes, th those will be remote folks. And again, those are folks that really have uh, judgment, uh, frankly, more than a lot of our managers. They've got the skills to really say, hey, you know, for this house, how nice are we going to improve it? And, and they'll, again, get the competing bids. And they're really thinking about how to invest four and five figure dollar amounts uh, in, in houses and maybe road improvements and other things. Um, again, managers are focusing kind of on three figure, you know, lot rent collections and, you know, two and three figure lawn mowing bills. Sure. That's the way sure. we divide it up. Awesome stuff, mate. Well, is there any other pieces of tips or advice that you can give to people, those listeners out there wanting to invest from afar? And what's maybe your biggest takeaway piece of advice? So you got to, yeah, you got to decide fr from afar, uh, well, frankly, whether you want to do this direct yourself or whether you want to, you know, be a passive investor in a fund. Uh, that, you know, you, you can be a passive investor in a fund by next week. Uh, whereas if you want to own it yourself, you, you, I would say, I mean, you're not going to be able to do this really full time. So let's just say it's going to take your, your, your part time efforts over at least three months to really kind of read books, go to seminars, uh, build up your advisory board and, uh, and get educated about it. And then it's probably another three months to actually be looking uh, and find something. So, and then of course you're going to manage it yourself or really manage the manager anyway. So it's just kind of a question of how much time folks have. Uh, you, if you do this right, you'll of course make more money, uh, buying a property directly yourself. You know, you, you might well get that 20 or 30% cash on cash. Um, if you're a passive investor in a fund, uh, at least like ours, you're probably going to be more around 15% cash, which certainly beats the stock market. <laughs> It but, certainly does. It certainly does. You know, for, for folks with, with more time and that are more aggressive, great. Go, go and do it yourself. Um, again, for, for folks that are more comfortable making a passive investment and think, oh, my gosh, too many moving pieces, <laughs> and there are uh, in this business, then, uh, then, then I'd say consider uh, a passive investment. That's fantastic. And that's very good advice because there are, as I like to say, horses for courses. Some people will want to get their hands dirty and actually own right. the asset and own and be, you know, just hands deep and trying to make sure that the thing operates correctly. And there's other people who just don't yep. have the time or energy to go out and do all the steps we've just you know, alluded to. We've talked yeah. a lot about you know, how you're finding your deals with your brokers, how you're looking at your different markets. Then you've got to go and find your financing. Then you've got to set up you know, a little bit of a local team on the ground, asset management. All those things come into effect and take a lot of, essentially a lot of time uh, and to build up a business to operate effectively and get you know, those double-digit cash-on-cash returns doesn't just happen overnight. And it, it won't, you won't just buy a park or 
even a, a multi-family ha- uh, unit and just let it just sit there and operate. It will take yep. you know some of your energy and time to to oversee that as as the business yep. owner. Yeah, D- decide if you want a, a job and an investment or if you just really want an investment. Yes, exactly, <laughs> oh. exactly. <laughs> awesome stuff, mate. So Jefferson, yep. with all your experience and expertise in owning and operating deals from afar, I know you're primed to give me your top five investing tips. You ready to get into it? Yes, I am. Uh, what's the most successful habit you practice to keep on track towards your goals? So I try and manage not by the numbers. Uh, I don't set a goal like, oh, I have to buy, you know, a thousand pads over the next year. I try and set goals based on efficiency. You know, how many deals am I reviewing and how quickly am I uh, moving those deals through my pipeline? And again, hiring on uh, folks uh, to to help us with that is a key part of that. But anyway, so I, I manage to efficiency rather than to specifically box myself into you know, having to buy X amount of property kind of regardless. Um, I, I just think about finding property, finding good properties as efficiently as I can. And uh, anyway, that, uh, I'll leave it at that. Yeah. Cool, cool. What's the most influential tool in your real estate business and why? Um, you mean like a software product? Yeah, software or it could be a phone. I had a lot of people oh, okay. say their phone. I said some people say their uh, financing uh, team. <laughs> yeah, interesting. Um, so uh, I'll throw this one out. We're, we're huge fans of Asana. Uh, A-S-A-N-A, and it is what it is is basically a very fancy to-do list for teams. So, uh, for instance, when we buy a property, uh, we've got a certain number of things that we do to onboard a property, you know, get it, get it listed in the yellow pages, get it on Google Earth, uh, maybe get the roads repaved, get something else done, blah, blah, blah. So we put all that into Asana. We assign that out. A couple of the things may go to our manager. Most of that's going to go to our asset manager. Some of it would be for my partner and me. And then again, we have weekly calls. But with with that kind of dashboard, that to-do list dashboard, we can really measure properties on each, measure progress on each of our properties and make sure nothing's fallen through the cracks. Awesome. Asana. I use uh, Smartsheets, which is another right. handy tool. I don't know if you've ever heard of that. But yeah, awesome stuff. Good stuff. Uh, what's the most exciting project you're working on right now? Uh, we are working on our first coastal deal. Uh, it's not a property right on the coast, but it's in a state that uh, actually has beaches. So every, everything else we've done, you know, Wyoming, Ohio, uh, Wisconsin, uh, Kansas, uh, all the other states we're in are in the Midwest, which is, again, a wonderful place to own. But uh, it'll be nice. I'm pretty certain we'll get this deal done here by the end of next month. And be, uh, be, be nice to have a property uh, on a, uh, in a coastal state. Yeah, and then you can go and visit it more often rather than once a year. <laughs> uh, at, least, at least during the summer months, yes. Exactly. I'm just looking, I'm looking for that deal like in Colorado near Aspen. Uh-huh. I can go uh-huh. visit that property in the winters. I haven't Fantastic. managed to pull that off yet. Yeah. <laughs> Who's the most influential person in your career? I'm, just, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a huge fan of Warren Buffett and his teachings. Uh, uh, so I would say... Pro- Probably Buffett. Uh, I'm obviously not in his league, but I, everything I do, I, I, I try and think, uh, what, what would Warren do? Would Warren buy this, and, and what would he do with it? So I'm, I'm, I'm always looking for value and, and trying to learn from, from uh, uh, Uncle Warren. Fantastic, mate. And last question for you is, where can people reach you to continue the conversation? Okay, so yeah, whether folks are either thinking of buying a mobile home park themselves or might be interested in co-owning parks with us in our fund, either way, we've got information for them at uh, parkstreetpartners.net. Uh, and then we've also got a community on um, 
Oh, sorry, we've also got our podcast and our uh, LinkedIn community, and they can find both of that by going to mobilehomeparkinvestors.net. That'll link them through to our podcast and to our 3,000-some-odd-person group on LinkedIn. Fantastic. So parkstreetpartners.net, mobilehomeparkinvestors.net. Awesome stuff, mate. Well, Jefferson, you have really given us some cracking information on about how to own, operate, and finance deals from afar. We talked a lot about... Uh, in particularly in regards to mobile home park investing, we talked about the super Walmart being uh, within close proximity to super Walmart. We talked a little bit about the average home price within an area when you're looking for at mobile home park investing specifically. Of you don't want it to be less than a hundred thousand dollars. We talked a lot, a little bit about how you're finding the financing and the teams you're setting up on the ground. So really awesome stuff, mate. Thanks for dropping by and chatting with us. Uh, have a great rest of your week, and I guess we'll catch up soon. Uh, it's been a cracking podcast, mate. <laughs> awesome stuff. Thank you so much. Okay. Awesome stuff. Bye-bye. Well, there you have it. Another great insight into finding, financing, and operating deals from afar. Now, make sure you check out all the show notes for a summary of today's conversation with Jefferson. And any links we mentioned on today's show will be on my website at rsmpropertygroup.com. R for Roger, S for Sam, N for Nancy. Whilst you're on there, check out uh, our newsletter and keep up to date on all the deals we're working on right now. And if you are interested in wine and cheese networking events in downtown LA, then there's that stuff on there as well. If you are in the LA area and you want to hit me up for a coffee or lunch, then you know I love meeting up and talking shop. Just shoot me an email whenever you are next in town and we'll hook up. Thanks again for taking some time out of your day to tune in and continue to grow your real estate investing knowledge. That's what we're all about here on this show. Continue to grow your financial IQ. If you do like this show and you want to give back, jump on iTunes and leave the show a five-star review. It will help us grow our community of listeners wanting to invest here in the United States. Guys, we're going to do this all again next week. So take care, be safe, and remember, happy investing.